morning, church. How are we? You like my moon boot? It's kind of cool. It's the most expensive shoe I've ever bought. It's pretty great. Uh, I am so excited to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Daniel chapter 3? Daniel 3 is going to be where we find ourselves for the majority of our time today. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little update on said moon boot. Um, just so you'll know, and I know there's a lot of questions, I wish there were a really cool story. Like, I really wish I could tell you about a really cool motorcycle ride that ended in an awesome jump that I made it, but then I kind of scratched my foot on the way. Uh, I wish I could tell you that it was just something cool, like I was hiking the side of a mountain and I got to the top and a billy goat and I got into a tussle. Like, I'd love to tell you all those things. I stepped wrong getting out of bed. And uh, I thought it was some other things. We've actually been treating it for other things for almost a year now. And I go to the doctor uh, and it turns out I have uh, a little, uh, seriously, it is very tiny, a small broken bone in the joint of my big toe. Uh, and effectively, he didn't say this. The doctor is kind, gracious, and loving. I will go back and give him more of my money later on at, a, at another date. Um, but he effectively said, uh, you're a little bit bigger and you're walking on those feet. And I was like, wait, did you tell me I was too fat for my feet. Um, so it's been a great week, uh, all that to say, uh, and I am so excited to be with you. The goal is to be in this boot for 30 days. Hopefully that will make everything better, heal up if it doesn't, uh, and then we have to come up with different options from there. Uh, so that being said, I want you to know why the space boot is there. Uh, I tried to get to, uh, it did not clear the bank account, so we're, we're going to stay with the one at the moment, okay? Hey, it is my favorite weekend of the year. It is July 4th weekend. Uh, this, this usually three to four day stretch of days uh, is by your standard and mine, I would assume, uh, where we gather together and we eat copious amounts of delicious food, where we visit with friends and family, where we watch things explode and we take part in things exploding. It is 4th of July weekend, all joking aside. This is the weekend that we take time to remember our country's beginnings, our country's birthday. Uh, as of, well, depending on when the actual Declaration of Independence was signed, uh, we are 246 years old this year. I am so thankful, church, for where we live. I love these United States. I'm thankful for all the peoples that God has allowed us to do life with. But hear me, and you, I pray that you would expect this from me, and also I expect this from you. I pray that you are most excited for where we live because God, through his son Jesus Christ, gave us one task to do. Now, for two years, I've hammered on that task pretty heavily almost every week, and I pray that how many ever more decades we have together, you will hear that task over and over and over again. That is the Great Commission, that we go into all of the world and we make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that we have been commanded, trusting that God will be with us till the end of the age, right? So we know it is our task to go and make disciples of all peoples. Church, we live in a wonderful country that all peoples are coming here. We have an opportunity to make disciples, and yes, we want you to go and take part in international missions. We want you to go to the ends of the earth, but hear me out, to fulfill the Great Commission, it is quite possible all you have to do is begin to go to work and to school on mission. 
that God has allowed us an opportunity with the nations coming and being here and us doing life with the nations, we have an incredible opportunity to advance the kingdom and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that the Lord has blessed these United States, and I ask you to join me now as we thank him and ask him for more opportunities to advance the kingdom. Church, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to come to you this morning, to be gathered together as a united family of faith, as we are joining Jesus on his mission. Father, for your glory and the good of those that are around us. Father, I thank you for where you allow us to live. I thank you for all of the wonderful blessings you allow us to live in. Lord, I pray though that you would continue to open our eyes our hearts, our hands, and our mouth. God, to be ready and willing to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. Thank you for the commission that you've placed on every believer to make disciples of all nations. But Lord, I pray now that we understand that that task isn't to be taken up once a year in a mission trip, or maybe once every couple of years on a longer term stay overseas. But Lord, it is to be fulfilled with every breath that we have left, starting from this moment till we see you face to face. Thank you for these United States. Thank you for another year to be in this country. Oh Lord, help us leverage it for your glory and the good of those that are around us. Jesus, we love you, and it is in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, church family, we are here at our very last sermon series, uh, as we, or the sermon in the series, uh, as we look at the stories that shape our faith. Uh, now, we have done nine of these so far. This is number 10, uh, and this probably is my favorite one, um, because I don't know out of all of them, uh, I believe this one, uh, in many different ways, forms, and fashions, has shaped me. It has, it has affected me so much because I believe uh, even if I go back to my earliest memories of God's Word, this is a story that my grandmother used to read to me every night before bed. And I'll tell you more of why that is kind of a strange thing in a minute because you don't get much great sleep after you hear this story. But this is the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Uh, if you grew up on VeggieTales, anybody grew up on VeggieTales? This is the story of Shadrach and Benny, okay? Uh, and so you, you may have visions of cucumbers and tomatoes dancing in your head as we work through this together. But let me catch us up where we are in Daniel chapter 3, okay? Daniel begins, the book of Daniel begins around 600 BC, okay? So if you remember back when we were in Micah, when we ended Micah, uh, the, the people of, of the southern kingdom, of Judah, they had just by God's grace had dodged the Assyrians coming to take them over. But there, there was this prophecy that, that, that remained through Micah and through Isaiah that it wouldn't be long and then there would be other invading nations that would come and truly take them over. Well, that time has now come. And that invading nation is called Babylon. Babylon in this moment is one of the most educated nations in the world, one of the highest military powers the world has known up until this point, and they have come down and they have gone through the northern kingdom and they have come through the southern kingdom and they have taken all of God's people and they are taking them back into captivity. The book of Daniel picks up with the king telling his, his servants 
that you need to pick from this group that's coming in from, from Israel, from, from the Hebrew people. You need to pick some men who are, they, they, they're young, they're gifted, and they're handsome, and they're leaders. The, the whole purpose behind that is so they could train them in the ways of Babylon. Now, that was going to be strategic. Alexander the Great would do this a little bit later on. He would take the best among the people that they just conquered, indoctrinate them with this new way of life, and then send them back out to the peoples. So when they are young and handsome and brave and leaders, everybody's going to say, well, oh yeah, well they like that, then we must need to like that as well. This was incredibly strategic on the king of Babylon's part. Now, even though there were probably many, Daniel denotes four. Here are the four. Daniel is the first. There is Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, okay? Each of those Hebrew names carried with it a weight of significance about the God that they served, okay? So, so pay attention right here. This is going to be important as we get into chapter three today. This is all coming from chapter one of Daniel, okay? Daniel's name in the Hebrew means God, Yahweh, is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, no God like the God of Israel. And Azariah, Yahweh has helped. So those four names deeply trenched in Yahweh's family. So as they are coming in and they are selected because they are young, they are handsome, they are great leaders, they seem to have an aptitude for learning. They have these names and they come before the king. And as you can imagine, that probably didn't go over well with the king of Babylon. So they were given new names. Daniel was given a name called Belteshazzar, which means Nebo, protect his life. Nebo was a Babylonian god. Hananiah's name was changed to Shadrach, which means command of Aku, which is the moon god of Babylon. Mishael was changed to Meshach, who is like Aku. And Azariah was changed to Abednego, which is the servant of Nebu. All right, so the, as this account unfolds, these four guys were highly favored and blessed by God. They pick up the language and customs quickly, and they are stronger and smarter, uh, and, and they are given into higher places of leadership. And Daniel was placed at the, the king's palace, and the other three, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, are placed out into the plains to oversee everyday life. And that's where we pick up today. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to read this pretty quickly, okay? Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is the account of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the Babylonian king here, made a gold image whose weight was 60 cubits in its breadth, six cubits. He had set it up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. So I know sometimes we don't get cubits and we don't know that measurement. Think of a statue set eight stories high. This is unmistakable, and it is to be seen by everyone who would simply raise their head. Verse 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar then sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, and the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the providences to come to the dedication of the image of the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All of those names or from the highest ranking officials to the lowest ranking officials. But it is everybody who is in leadership is invited there that day to celebrate this new image. Verse three, then the satraps and prefects and governors and counselors and treasurers and justices and magistrates and all the officials of the providence gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Then when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of those, the list of, of instruments, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Let me, let me paint this scene just quickly. They are on the plain of Dura. Think giant open field that is overlooking the great city of Babylon and next to the great city. How do you build all that? How do you fashion the metal? How do you make the brick? You got to have a furnace that can handle that. So the furnace that they are looking at is going to be prominently placed right sitting next to the city gate. And it will always be, be on fire. In this moment, you are going to see smoke and flames rising up from it. And typically, this is going to look like probably one of those fire pots that you have on your back porch. If you have the ones, uh, the chimney type that have the hole at the top, but the open uh, at the bottom where you can see in, it's going to look a lot like that. And so when you get that fire burning, you know that those flames leap out of the top. And so when they hear, hey, if you don't bow down to this, this statue when you hear the music, you're being thrown in that fire. Well, immediately when they heard the music, they all fall down. So here's the accusation, verse 8. Therefore, at that time, the, the Chaldeans came, before, uh, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. That word is a lot of fun if you want to go study it in the Hebrew. Like, they were angry. They, they, they were gritting their teeth when they are giving this complaint to, to Nebuchadnezzar. They declared to the king. O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree. And every man who hears the sound of the, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the fiery furnace. So probably at this point, the king's saying, yeah, sure, I said that. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought up. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered them, Hey, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve the gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of all those instruments and the music, go ahead and fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. Listen to these words. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That is a huge statement. Because remember, their names all carried weight, and the king knew it. And each one of those names said, God is good, God is faithful, God is near, God can heal, redeem, and restore. It, it is all in those names. And so he asked the question, who is the God that can deliver you from me? Because he's the God, right? He is the image. They are to bow down and worship him. Here's the answer. This is bold. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Church, what faith. That is powerful. What they're effectively saying is, listen, I'm not bowing down no matter what you say. Well, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. Where's your God now? He goes, listen, our God can save us. I know he can. But even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down to worship the idols that you have set up. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it is usually heated. Anytime you see the word seven, pretty much anywhere in Scripture, but specifically in the Old Testament, that means to the max that it can be. So seven times more is to the completion or to the fulfillment of its ability to be hot. It is the hottest this thing has ever been. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks and tunics and hats and other garments. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent that the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Who do you think's in the fire? Who do you think showed up to protect them? This is a beautiful, powerful, actual account that happened in our history. This is why this is a story that shapes our faith. They had no idea if God would. They only knew that he could. But it was faith in the fact that he could do this that allowed them to say, either way, I'm not bowing down. So whatever you have to do, do it. But I'm going to trust my God. You take my life, then God is going to welcome me home. But it is in his providence that he meets me in the fire and preserves my life. Then you are going to be astounded. And so what happens is the king sits down on his throne to be satisfied with the three men being thrown in the fire. And he looks up and he says, hey, there's four guys in there. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather to serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nations, or languages that speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. 
I remember sitting in my bed as a kid and my grandmother reading me this story as I got ready to fall asleep. I remember that as she was reading it, maybe like you this morning, my heart began to race my stomach began to turn, and then in the end, when you see that, that, that there is someone else in the fire, whether that is Christ himself, if that is a manifestation of Christ, or if God sent an angel to protect them, regardless, it is a miracle from heaven. I remember hearing that they were going to be safe, and they come out, and the king, who was adamantly against Yahweh, who is now ferociously for Yahweh, I remember laying back on my pillow thinking, oh, what a great story. But no matter how many times my grandmother would read me that story, I always had the same reactions. Anxiety, nervousness, stomach churning. And then when the good thing would happen, I would fall back and say, yes, that is such a great story. Grandma, read it again. No matter how many times I heard that story, no matter how many times I knew what the outcome was going to be, I was still wrapped with anxiety. Will they make it? Church, this is a story that shapes our faith. As we've grown older, as I've grown older, and we've experienced similar things. Now, you may not have actually found yourself being thrown into a fiery furnace. But I bet you have found yourself put into impossible situations where you didn't know how the outcome was going to unfold. We've all been there because that is who we are. That is where we live a majority of our life. I know we can come in here on a Sunday morning and be so excited and jovial and smiles on our faces and all dressed up, but in reality, we live in this tension most days of our life because we find ourselves in situations whether we are put there by others' actions or because of our own actions. We are in this place where we don't know how we will make it out. And when we find ourselves there, we find ourselves being filled with anxiety, our stomachs turning in knots, and we are fearful because we don't know what's next. But we know God is faithful. We know that he is good. We know that he will give us everything we need at exactly the right moment that we need it. But knowing all of that, Yet we are still surprised by the challenging moments when they come. We're still anxious about the outcomes, and we can even go as far, listen to me, and see if this resonates with you, because this is where I live some days. We go as far to even pray and ask God, God, please keep me from these hard times. No doubt we would never say, God, please send Nebuchadnezzar and throw me in the fiery furnace. I can't wait to see you show up. But can I ask a question? Four, actually. Would the joy of this outcome be as joyful without the trial? Would the three guys' faith be as fortified as it was without the trial that they went through? Would the king's heart have been turned without the trial that they went to? If you were to go into chapter 4, which we're not today, but just the first few verses of chapter 4, would the whole world know of the goodness of Yahweh had they not gone through that trial? 
Again, I am not advocating that God bring pain to us. I'm not advocating that in your prayer time today, you go home and say, Lord, my weeks have been pretty good. I'm ready for a change. I think I need some really bad stuff to go down because I'm ready for my faith to be fortified and I'm ready to see you come through in a mighty way. No way. But I am advocating for this that we trust God to always give us what we need when we need it. That we trust him that what he does in our life will always bring him the most glory and us the most good. I'm advocating that we trust that God is working even when we don't see how he is working. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn there. These will be pretty quick. This is kind of like Bible drills. See how fast you can get there. Our worship team will come back up. We'll move uh, soon into a a response time. I don't want you to to sit and pack up time. This is is where the good stuff is. Romans 5, verse 3 through 5. If if you highlight or underline, this is one of those sections you need to commit to to memory to your heart. It's one of those sections that you need to put in your car or your bathroom mirror above the coffee pot, whatever it is that you are, you are going to see often, you, you want this. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is saying to the church at Rome, celebrate the suffering. Don't hide from it. Why in the world would we celebrate it? Because the suffering is doing something in us. It is through the suffering that we come closer to the Lord. Think about your own life. When are you more prone to go to this book and to search out answers? When your life is going exactly how you want it or when it's fallen apart? When are you more prone to go to the Lord and more concerned and focused prayer? When life is going exactly how you like it to go or when you can't see where to take the next step? Church, listen to me. Just because we walk through trials and suffering doesn't mean God is distant or punishing us. Matter of fact, it may mean the opposite, that God is loving and kind in such a way that he is going to develop us into something we never thought ourselves to be. But until we walk through that season of trial, to see him for who he truly is, We will never have the kind of faith it takes to walk the life he's called us to live. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to turn there, let's see how quick you can go. 1 Peter 4, that's towards the end of your Bible. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 and 13, and verse 19. This is another highlight, underlying kind of passage. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter gives the roadmap for handling suffering in our life. Don't despise the suffering when it comes. See it as God loving you and doing something in you and developing you in a way. Not only that, rejoice because if it is true, Christian suffering, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And we may be rejoicing when that glory is revealed. Think about the moment that Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, fellas, come out. (laughs) I don't think they needed his permission to walk out of that. In that moment, they had God standing with them. But can you imagine the joy, not only of those three brothers, not only of their families, not only of everybody who just watched this miracle happen, They would have never experienced that joy if they had not gone through that trial. So rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do when we're walking towards the furnace? What do we do when we see the flames leaping up and we feel the heat on our face? We don't know how we're going to make it out. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Those words are packed. There's a whole sermon in that verse, but quickly it is this. God did not just create the world and everything in it in six days and rest on the seventh and say, I'm done. See ya when I come back. He created you. He created every aspect of your story. Psalm 139 tells us that he knows our days even before we live them. So our goal isn't to fight. Our goal is to trust in our good and faithful creator. What do we do while we're trusting in him? While doing good. Man, I don't don't know how it's gonna shake out in your life, but I do know if you have breath in your body, you are still called to do good today. Well, I don't know how much I can do. I'm not asking how much can you do. I'm just saying do what is right in front of you. James says it this way. It's probably the most famous passage when it comes to to suffering and trials. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big deal because James wasn't always that. To the 12 tribes and the dispersion. Again, they're scattered because they're being killed. That's what a dispersion is. Greetings. First words out of his mouth to a scared people. First words out of his mouth to a people who have lost everything and don't know what tomorrow holds. Here are his first words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It is the trials that God has trusted to us. They're not to punish us, but they are to make us suitable for the ministry he's called us to. Church, there is no doubt all of us have scars of pain, of trials, of suffering. And maybe you are here today and you have thought your whole life, was it something that I have done to cause this? Now, don't don't get it twisted. Sometimes we have natural consequences to our fallenness. 
But I think even in those, God redeems that if given to him and uses it for his glory and our good. But if you're here today and you think because you are walking through a trial and you don't know what to do or where to go next, that somehow you are disqualified from being a Christian or in the Lord's service, let me be clear with you. It is the most qualifying thing that you can have to be a Christian and be in his service. It is the trials that define us, that make us who we are. It shows that where we couldn't, he did. No way. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego got out of that furnace and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, look what we did. We beat your fire. Nope. They knew who saved them, and there was no doubt. Do you know who saved you? Is there still any doubt in your mind? Church, God is good. He is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, and he can be trusted. But the question we must answer this morning is, do we trust him? Not just with the big picture, not just generally do we trust him. Do we trust him with the Lord's prayer so we can get into heaven, so we don't have to worry about hell, and we just go about our life until we take our last breath and get there? I'm not not talking generally. Let me ask it a different way. Are you trusting the Lord right now? With all the things that are going on in your life right now. If not, what's holding you back? What's the thing that's stopping you from saying, Lord, I specifically have this thing in my life right now, and I've tried all that I can to fix it, to make it better, to make it not awful, to do all of these things, but God, I can't do it. So I'm coming to you right now, and I give it all to you. Have you done that? Here's my encouragement to you as we end this sermon series on the stories that shape our faith. God is not just a distant God who created the world and is gonna come back one day and make sure we did everything the right way. He is a God who is here today, who by his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit for believers resides inside each and every one of us. A God who is so intimately involved in our lives that every thought and word and action is to be taken captive, not because we believe that it is punitive not to do so, but because he is so loving and we trust him with it all. So we don't have to carry the burden and the weight that will crush our souls. He's called us to trust him with all that we are. So this morning, as we move into this invitation time, I ask you again, are you trusting him right now? Probably better put, because nobody, unless you're just different, what are the things you're not trusting him with? And I want to ask you during this invitation time, where you sit or down front and you want somebody to pray with you, it is time to confess those things. Repent of the arrogance to say, I can do it and relinquish it to him and to watch the miracle unfold. I'm not saying it is immediately going to happen. I'm not saying that we don't get thrown into the fire. I'm just telling you, regardless of how it turns out, God is good and faithful. And we can trust him, for he is good. Would you pray with me, church? Father, I love you and I thank you for today. Thank you for this sermon series. Thank you for this word today. Thank you, Lord, that even though We have probably heard the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I don't know, a hundred times. Our 
hearts still kind of race when we hear it. Stomach gets in knots when we think about it. And then even more so, Father, when we see ourselves in similar situations, we don't, we don't know what to do. And so, Father, I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would give illumination to our life. Maybe there are people, maybe there, there are areas even in our own lives that we don't know that we are keeping from you, that we are trying to do, but it is so ingrained in us, we don't even know that we're there. Holy Spirit, would you convict us of that right now? God, I pray that we come to you in complete trust and surrender this morning. That without fail, God, we will trust that you are good and you are mighty to save. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?